Welcome to the Holden Village Podcast. Holden is a community of education, programming, and worship located in the remote wilderness of the Cascade Mountains. These snapshots provide a glimpse into the learnings taking place in our community. Let's tune in to this week's highlight. My name is Krista Olson, and I am from Madison, Wisconsin, where I teach at the University of Wisconsin. And I teach rhetoric, which uh, I think most people, when they hear the word rhetoric, they think of spin. They think of like, bad things people do to the truth. That's just rhetoric. Uh, but the, the study of rhetoric has this really long history, and it's all about paying attention to the ways that we affect one another. We human beings affect one another and, and shape values and beliefs. One of the things that I've been talking about with folks is that um, when rhetoric first started being talked about and imagined, uh, it was as sort of different from philosophy. So in in ancient Greece, um, philosophy was logic and truth and things you could be certain about. So it was sort of the science of ancient Greece. And rhetoric was these folks' realization that not everything could be logic and truth and you could that you were absolutely certain about. And instead, um, we need tools to understand what's likely to happen and what our common values tell us should happen. Uh, that are, that's, and that's different from knowing with absolute certainty that something is true. And so rhetoric is all about these tools for, imagine, for living in a world that is imperfect and uncertain and in which we have to share time together. That's kind of the perspective I come from, is all these tools to use for understanding a world where we can't always know what's true, but we need to still move forward together in life, in common life. And so I bring that set of tools to think about how the things we see in the world around us shape those values and beliefs and attitudes. And uh, the example that I gave um, during one of my sessions, and that I think is a great sort of way to understand how pictures work that way comes from the U.S. civil rights movement. So in 1963, Dr. King took the civil rights movement to Birmingham. Uh, And I think a lot of people are familiar with King's letter from Birmingham jail. And in that letter, so he, the movement had been pushing hard to try and create change. And a group of white clergy sent Dr. King a letter saying, you know, we agree with what you're doing. We understand that racism and segregation are wrong, but we think you're pushing too hard. You're going to alienate people. And can't you slow down and give people time, give people time to change their minds and see differently? And King wrote this really famous letter back where he, I, I can't remember whether in that letter he says justice delayed, justice denied, but that's the, the idea of that letter. The letter is saying, you know, you white moderates who agree with our sentiment but don't like our approach, you really are standing in the way of justice and you need to you need to move and you need to realize that this has to happen now and that we can't wait. We, we can't wait is one of his lines. But what people maybe don't know as much, most people can, if you say, can you picture the photographs that came out of Birmingham in 1963? Anybody who was alive in the 60s, can probably pull those pictures up. And most grown-ups who were al- weren't alive also can, because they're, they're photographs that are now in textbooks and history books. They're the photographs of police dogs ripping clothes off of an African-American protester or 
young, well-dressed African-American teenagers being hit by fire hoses. And that those photographs come out of the same moment of protest that King's letter did. That was the same period in Birmingham. And they were part of that same campaign that King was doing, that King went to Birmingham in part because he knew that uh, Bull Connor, the sheriff, or the, the police chief in Birmingham, was volatile and probably would overreact to the protests. And he knew that it would help it would help white moderates understand why the civil rights movement couldn't wait if they could see the violence and the hatred of racism. And so he wanted to get, get the movement into a place where there might be something visible. And there were a lot of news photographers there, but Charles Moore was probably the most famous and he was actually working for Life or he was connected to Life magazine, which um, Life magazine at that time reached an extraordinarily wide audience. It, uh, I don't think there's anything today that can compare to it in terms of some huge proportion of the American public either purchased life or would see it and be had, would be handed around. And so to have something show up in Life magazine, you knew that the public would really see it. And those photographs of the dogs ripping off clothes and the fire hoses, they showed up and they really helped change how people understood what was happening and began to move. John F. Kennedy saw those photographs and was really concerned about international politics and what that would look like in the rest of the world as the U.S. was struggling against communism. And so that's, this is all sort of a story to say that we often think about words as having persuasive power, but to think about the letter from Birmingham jail alongside those same photographs, both of which really became famous in different ways, but both of which were doing that work of helping especially white moderates rethink their position and understand the urgency of the civil rights movement. And I should say, since this is for recording and so will be available, that um, these ideas that I'm talking about in terms of that relationship between the photographs and the letter from Birmingham jail comes from work done by Davy Johnson, who's a, a rhetorician who studies visual rhetoric. Um, and she has an article about that history and those connections. And so I'm really inspired by her work to share that with, with a larger audience. So I want folks to be able to, to recognize the origin of my ideas. So rhetoric is about, when you study rhetoric, what you're, what you're looking at is how were people trying to change other people's minds? So anytime you see, whether it's words or the design of a space or the pictures around you that, are, that you can tell or they want to move you in a certain way, you can think about that through rhetoric. So if it's, you know, the example I often give my students is the design of a classroom. If you walk into a classroom and all the desks are facing the front and they're all fixed facing the front, then you know that that classroom is designed with the assumption that the person standing in the front of that room is the important person and the source of knowledge. And if you walk into a classroom and there's a big circle and you can't tell where the instructor is going to sit, that's an assumption that there's a different relationship. And so even that, you can think about that through rhetoric. It's sending a message about who matters. Um, so that's, that's how I use it. And then that idea about probability. As somebody who studies rhetoric, I'm always looking for, you know, well, I'm, I'm trying to find out right. what mattered yeah. in that moment. Yeah. But rhetoric itself is the act of persuasion. 
one of the things that we've been talking about in my sessions is a lot of us want photographs to be really powerful. We want them to change our minds. We want them to show us something true. But especially maybe in our current moment, we're aware that that photographs don't always tell us what's true. That the same photograph can be used to make one argument and then to make the other argument. A, a great example, um, this week I've been talking about uh, the US-Mexico border a lot and immigration politics and, and photographs. And if you think about how different people used the pictures of the the large caravan of people coming to the toward the US border and that those photographs depending on who you were and what your politics were and what your out your purpose was those photographs got used to illustrate arguments about an invasion and to illustrate arguments about a need to offer compassion and about a look at the problems that people are coming from and how desperate they are and how we need to help them and that those the photographs themselves don't necessarily tell us one way or the other that yeah. context matters a lot but one of the things that i hope people come away with from my sessions is an awareness yes that photographs don't in and of themselves create certain effects that it's all about the context and how you're approaching them and what you're bringing with you and what the person who is presenting the image is bringing with them. But that sense of ambiguity that a photograph isn't a truth, that it isn't a representation of truth, doesn't mean that we can't also allow photographs to affect us and to move us and to, to move us to action. So that when last summer in 2018, when people started seeing photographs of children separated from their parents, the impulse to act that came out of that was a real and valuable impulse. One that was valuable and true and important. Even when some of the photographs that circulated, it, people were responding to later saying, well, that photograph was taken in 2014 during the Obama administration. So how can you say it's a problem now and you didn't think it was a problem in 2014 when it was actually taken? And the truth is, that's a misdirection. The fact that in 2018, I see a photograph from four years ago of a child separated from their parent and kept in a chain link enclosure and think that's wrong and that shouldn't happen. The fact that it's an old photograph doesn't change the fact that that impulse of that's wrong is still a valid impulse and that it can spark us into action, even in those moments when, when truth and falsity is sort of complicated. Uh, and so I'm, I'm hoping folks walk away aware that we need, to, we need to be critical viewers of images and we want to know the stories and histories behind them, but also that there's a good, there's good reason to allow pictures to make us act and that we, it's not naive to be moved by what we see. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to view the links in the description for more information or visit our website to find out more about the village. We hope you will make a pilgrimage to Holden. Blessings and peace to you.